startup is thousands, tens of thousands, even millions of ideas all strung together. That thing everybody calls execution. All right. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Bootstrapping SaaS to Millions. I'm Kevin. He's Mike. We're taking you on a journey uh, through building our business from zero to an eight-figure business, talking about lessons, tips, stories. Um, and we have 11 downloads now, so we're on fire. Oh man, double digits. Double digits. We've hit double digit downloads already and this is only episode five. So today we're going to talk about choosing a space for your startup, choosing an industry, what you're going to actually do. This tap, this topic comes up all the time on Twitter. Oh, people ask me on Reddit all the time. It's probably one of the hardest things when you're at that phase of considering starting a SaaS. Yeah. And I want, <laughs> so like, as a, I want to go back to when I was just really new to thinking about startups, which is where a lot of people start. And I think the common trap is thinking it's all about the idea. That's like the basic mindset. I think a lot of people start there of, Jeff, I can just think of this one idea, this crack, this code. And that sometimes is true, but, you know, cause ideas do matter, I believe. And sometimes you do think of a product or, you know, if it's a physical product that no one else has thought of that cleans your dishes in a different way, that's great. But I quickly evolved, I think, past that to realizing it's more than just an idea. No, oh, a startup is thousands, tens of thousands, even millions of ideas all strung together. That thing everybody calls execution. And yeah, your idea matters and it might limit your eventual ceiling, but not really because every business can pivot. Your idea matters enough that you should be excited about it, ready to have a strategy to get into it. And then you can evolve it from there. But don't don't be those guys that are scared to share your idea with everybody. You got to talk to people about it. Cause guess what? Thousands of other people probably are thinking the same thing. It's going to be how you execute it. Um, at least that's how we were thinking about it. We'll, we'll share how we approach this whole journey of, all right, we want a business. What are we going to do? You bring up a good point though. I, so I think uh, the guy from my first million says it this way, where he says, when I'm pre you know, operating a business, I tell everybody because I want to validate. I want to ask questions. I want to put it out there to the world. He goes, once it's working and he's executing, he gets quiet because he's like, I want it to keep working. I want it to be that way. So you got to let people know and not just find like yes men and yes women that just tell you, oh, it's a great idea. You should pursue it. You got to find, I think, smart, interesting people that'll challenge you yeah. and maybe debate it with you. And you can't be fragile about it because sometimes it sucks to hear, oh yeah, like 10 other people are doing that already. Right. I think, so one big question you have to ask yourself when you're even pondering ideas, because I'm sure if you're entrepreneurial, lots of ideas come to you throughout the day. You might have a notebook of different ideas. Um, really decide if you want to bootstrap or not. Obviously, this podcast is geared at bootstrappers. We're talking about our experience. But uh, deciding whether to bootstrap or not is going to cut the amount of ideas that you can tackle down significantly. Um, bootstrapping, hopefully you already know, but if you don't, it means paying for it with your own funds or your own time. When we started Spectora, we put in what, like $250 each. And I think that was just basically to buy a domain name, yep. maybe $500. So we had a few extra bucks just in case some services came up. Obviously, if you're um, wanting to tackle a massive market, it's going to be really hard to do that on a bootstrapper budget. And so bootstrapping usually says, hey, I'm going to try and tackle a niche first. You can expand to a bigger market, but that's a big question to ask yourself is, do you have a niche identified? That's interesting you bring that up because I, I bet some people go that route first of like life circumstances dictate if they want to raise venture capital or bootstrap. And then others maybe do have a passion for solving a problem in a certain niche. And then that dictates, you know, like if you're 
trying to disrupt um, the oil and gas industry or um, cable providers, you're going to probably need to raise money. You can't bootstrap for 250 bucks. So then it's like, okay, you got to go raise hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, so sometimes the space dictates the type, how you're going to run your business. But, um, but let's talk about how we, how Spectora found us, I guess. Um, yeah. I, I want to tell that because I think it's interesting. Everyone thinks, oh, you, you read something or you're inspired or you usually find an idea. It kind of found us, which is, I, th- I think, unique. Maybe so. A lot of people talk about scratching their own itch. For me, I didn't care. I wanted to build a product. I don't know if it mattered necessarily what. Like you know, people talk about, hey, whatever widget you build, eventually it feels like, hey, the things that matter most are not what the widget does. It's how you build the company around it, how you treat the customers of it. And so I, I don't think we tossed around a lot of ideas at this key period when we were saying, hey, we're going to start something. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, this wasn't scratching our own itch. This wasn't a thing that we even thought of. Because we almost did, I think, at, at that time. So we, we wanted to build like a recommendation engine, like a word of mouth recommendation engine for like doctors or your, your gynecologist or whatever. And then we talked about a volleyball app to find people to play pickup sports with. Mm-hmm. which is kind of a common problem. These are always these text threads of like, Hey, can you do 10? No, I can do 10 30. Right. Who knows where those would went, but it, I did, I did evolve my thinking personally too, to go from, man, it, it would be cool to work on something cool to, well, let's just roll with this. Cause it seems like a need and it seems like we could be the cool kids on the block. So anyway, let me, let me back up to asking you about how you even like go back to the ski condo really. Cause I want to dig into the fact that you networked with a lot of people. You took an interest in people and that's what eventually led to us finding Spectora. Yeah. I'm a pretty curious dude. And so anytime I'm in like a room full of strangers, I just ask a lot of questions. Maybe people think I come on a bit strong. It's just like, well, wait, no, what do you do? Well, tell me more about that. Okay. So day to day, what's that look like? I just get really curious about people. And so it becomes a you know, you find interesting people and you connect with them and then you kind of hang on to the ones that are, you enjoy hanging out with and are most interesting. So uh, we met a a new friend at the ski condo and he was transitioning from consulting into tech. He was learning how to code and he was also very kind of entrepreneurially minded. And um, so we just kind of kept in touch. And eventually um, you and I were talking about starting business together. He was thinking about starting something of his own and um, he said, guys, my dad's a home inspector. We have this idea. What do you think about it? And we were like, that is not sexy at all. That sounds so lame. And then the wheels started turning and we started doing a little bit of research. And we're like, damn, this is like really pragmatic. This is what somebody's first product should be. Not these grandiose things of changing the world. This is how we're going to make whatever amount we thought it was then. Maybe it's a few hundred thousand, maybe it's a couple million. This is how we're going to get enough money to provide the freedom for us to take shots at other opportunities. Is that how kind of how you recall it? It is. Yeah. I, I, well, one, it was really cool how you kind of almost mentored him. You guys were friends, kind of, you know, talked about development, always met up. And then eventually, you know, that he respected you a lot because I think you just take an interest in people, you connect with people. And then that, like, there's a reason why he came to you, you know, to say, hey, let's work on this. And I think that that speaks to kind of, maybe thinking about how you're perceived when you're in social circles or you just never know, basically, you never know who you're networking with. Um, you know, if you're at a party, if you're at social gatherings, just asking people questions, it leads to amazing things. It's, it's part of the reason why we're here, but yeah, I remember thinking 
huh, this is an industry that was forgotten about by technology. And I don't know if every opportunity is that obvious, but I think you have to kind of look and drill deeper to, to find, wow, this isn't as evolved as it should be in terms of like SaaS players in the space. The big feeling I remember having was, wow, we can do this better. We looked at every competitor out there and some of them had great functionality sets, but their design was lacking. Some of them had, mm. you know, they're missing functionality, but they seem to have enough of a presence just because of like legacy marketing efforts. Or, like they still ranked high, even though they maybe weren't actively developing. And so we just said, hey, I, I believe that with a concerted effort, we can make inroads into this space. So let's just take this on as like the thing we're going to do. That's a great point on the design and the presentation. Cause I think you could look at probably a lot. You probably look at hundreds of industries right now and think of the, how those brands are perceived because that, to me, that's a gap that can be filled. That's like an opening to shoot when you say, wow, they could probably, they probably do all the same things, but we're going to package it up better. We're going to have better marketing. We're going to have better YouTube channel, you know, all these opportunities now. So I think, I think there's still so many industries and spaces that people could attack. I imagine it's constantly the case because just like clothing styles, like every five years, kind of web design styles, you can tell there's a difference. There's a new popular framework. There's a new buttons don't have shadows now. Buttons are flat. And then soon they'll probably be like beveled with gradients again. Who knows, right? But that's kind of the cycle. And so if you just want to be the company that packages up similar functionality in a really attractive package, makes the UI better. I know we talked about, hey, let's reduce the number of clicks to do basic things. Let's just really focus on design and efficiency and really building the similar functionality, maybe with a little bit of our own fresh take, but not deviating too much from what was out there. Nothing revolutionary. I think that's the trap a lot of people get into is they have to revolutionize the world or they have to- The world like, a better place. <laughs> right, or it has to be this passion project where you make this massive impact and you know change lives. I just don't, um, I think that's a great thing to have. Yeah. I don't know if that needs to be the first project. If you're just saying, Hey, how do I get off the ground with something and become an entrepreneur that builds products might not be the best first idea. Yep. Yep. And I, and we kind of knew, I think by the size of the market that it was going to be bootstrapped. I don't think we loved the idea of VC just off the bat. Cause I think we've read maybe enough of either the horror stories and kind of maybe had the, I don't know the realistic approach to say, yeah, that worked for Facebook and and all you know all these other huge VC exits. There's also a lot of CEOs that get kicked out of their own company. They end up with nothing, um, and you're on a timetable, and you just hate bosses in general. I cannot. I I hate bosses. Back then, I hated structure in general. Now I'm like embracing <laughs> it as we're you know <laughs> this organization. But at the time, I said, hey, I don't want a few bosses. You know, people telling me what to do, when to do it, what hurdles to clear. That sounded like the exact opposite thing of what I was uh, trying to achieve. And so my opinion is you build a solid SaaS product, instead of a few bosses, you have thousands. So mm -hmm. one, one of their opinions doesn't matter as much. And I like the feeling of that. Yeah. Someone mentioned, someone on Twitter mentioned that the other day and, and said almost in a negative light that like, oh, if you hate bosses, run a company, you're going to have thousands of them. It's like, well, yeah, they pay you also there's a beauty to that. Uh, so it's, I think all that to say that this was not our passion. We're not passionate about home inspectors or the software that they use. Um, we became passionate about running a solid business that listened to customers that was agile in development that kicked ass in general and everything that you can be passionate about that. I think if it makes money, doesn't matter. 
Yeah. Here's what I'm passionate about. Like when I was building iPhone games, I put so much time into them. They made no money, but I put so much time into them because it's mine. I am passionate about building something that I can stand behind and say, yes, I put a ton of time to make this the highest quality thing. And it doesn't matter what the thing is because it's the process of creating the thing that I value the most. And now we're in the process of creating a company. I don't do as much coding, but it's still this pride of what we're accomplishing, what we're building, what we're growing. And so that's why I say, hey, if that idea, whatever you're building, it matters, but only to an extent. Don't fixate on it. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. I, I never, I'm trying to like never give blanket statements or advice anymore. And it's just like some people can follow their passions and run a nice little micro SaaS. And you could make maybe 30 grand a year, 100 grand a year, whatever the size of the market is. Chances are it's going to be tough to follow what you're ultimately completely passionate about. Um, because either someone else has probably done it because other people are passionate about it, or maybe you just have that like complete niche, like woodworking niche that just needed a community. Uh, but then your TAM is going to be smaller. Hmm. So it's, it's just things to think about. Um, let's see. And being a big fish in a small pond, that's a topic. That's like something I want to talk about here because when, when I get on Twitter and you know, get on Reddit, it's like, you know, I'm like the Twitter guy. You're like the Reddit guy, which is kind of cool, but you read about these other entrepreneurs that are trying to play in these huge ponds and lakes, oceans, basically, and trying to like make a name for themselves, trying to create a product. It really looks exhausting. It looks, it's really hard to compete with people that went to freaking Harvard or MIT or, you know, Penn or whatever that are building the next big thing, whether that be a CRM or whatever. Um, and so there is something to being the, the, the cutting edge people, in a niche industry. And I think we found like a home services industry where we did that. And instantly we were like, we went from being the nobodies that no one gave a shit about to kind of the cool kids on the block. We were the cool kids. We were probably the youngest um, owners of all the different software options in our space. We had this different, fresh energy. Everybody, all the incumbents were multiple years old. They maybe just weren't as focused on design and efficiency as we were they're more focused on these niche things because maybe they were, in our case, the home inspectors that were building software, people that were very connected to industry. We were just kind of the outsiders that came in and said, hey, we're just going to build a really cool product for this space. And people gravitate towards that. And, and hopefully, to some extent, our personalities. We really put ourselves out there. We went to the conferences. We shook hands. We really were trying to just get to know people because we're, I imagine, genuinely interested in people and that comes across favorably. That's a great point of like, it, again, like the difference of like genuinely being interested in like home inspections as a passion. No, but genuinely interested in people and how they operate and how we can help them. That's, that can translate anywhere. Being genuinely interested in like, how can I provide value? Do I have skills that you need? Right. Um, and I think that was the case, you know, cause you mentioned, you mentioned CRMs. It's just an example of like hugely competitive. So saturated. So saturated, um, just hard to play in and hard to win market share. Whereas like we were, we didn't realize there was 10 or 20, 30 players in our space at the time. We only saw the couple big ones and said, wow, we could come in and, and get a good chunk of this market. Um, but we did evaluate the TAM, right? Would you, do you think we would have done anything different if say the TAM was more like 10,000 home inspectors? I don't know. I, in my mind, it's almost the smaller, the better. If you can really quickly reach all the people in your market, ours is what, 20, 30,000, maybe 40,000 tops. It's hard to get good estimates. Uh, that's not many people. 
that feels really approachable to me. Some people say, oh, that limits your... Hey, if you want to be a billionaire, maybe niche SaaS bootstrap isn't your thing. But if you're just trying to be an average guy, it builds an above average product and can have a above average lifestyle. Look at those pragmatic niches, right? It, it's I, Yeah, I look at it as a, a percentages game. I mean, I, I, it's no surprise. Everyone probably does where you just up whatever percent of success by going smaller, by going more approachable to lock in a win, whether that be an exit or just making a great living for five or 10 years. And you're going to be okay more often than not, as opposed to raising VC. Maybe you get in TechCrunch, maybe, you know, maybe you get an exit, most likely not. That's just how it goes. Most likely you're not going to based on the percentages. So that just, that, that felt comfortable to us. And maybe that was, that speaks to where we were at in life. Maybe. I think it, um, yeah, definitely. I think that transition from being the idealistic young person to like a more pragmatic, in my case, dad and homeowner, you have to weigh your risks. Maybe if you're younger, you can take some of those bigger shots and put a lot more um, risk out there. Whereas I think we were like, all right, what gives us a reasonable chance to generate a decent income and something that we can grow on? Yeah. I think our listeners are in general, the indie hacker community that a lot of them do have families and follow a lot of them. So I think a lot of them go that way. Um, I think another thing too, it's easier to listen in like a, a hyper niche industry. Um, it's easier to get in touch with people. They're more down to earth. They're not big time. You know, like if you're trying to like build a product for the top doctors in the world, it's like good luck getting their time. Right. But it's like, if you're building something for plumbers, you could probably get them on the phone. You could probably buy them coffee sit down and really get to know them. And that's what we did. I think we listened, 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 and we still do. Um, easier said than done though, right? Not every, I think that's just not natural to everyone. Right. Yeah, hundred percent. It was great being able to ask a ton of questions, really get direct input and feedback. I think we're kind of fortunate, like home inspectors by their nature tell you what's wrong for a living. So they beat the shit out of our software, told us what's wrong, helped us get better and improved. Um, I wonder if we went after one of the early ideas as a counselor at the time, we're like, oh, we should build a SaaS platform for counselors, super empathetic, warm people that won't tell it to you straight. <laughs> Could have been tough. Could have been that a lot, been a lot harder. They'd really validate us emotionally, but wouldn't pay for our software. Exactly. Um, and one of the last big things I think that it, you know, a lot of people say like, just play the right game or jump on the right wave. And you, that ups your chances of success again. And I think B2B versus B2C is another example of that where B2C, huge, vast ocean of products, and, and but everyone's your market. Like you have you know, hundreds of millions, maybe billions of people. And super fickle, so quick to change your mind on if something's worth paying money for. Constant marketing efforts seem necessary. Gosh, that- It scares me. It frankly scares me. I think of how long it took me to just pay for Spotify. They're one of the biggest and best apps out there. And I think it took me up until like a year ago mm -hmm. to pay for, to like pay 10 bucks a month for a consumer product. Oh yeah. I still have a hard time. I'm, I use a lot of still free things. Listen, commercials come up and it's really hard for consumers in general to pay for software. Yeah. The $1 app is even a barrier, right? Yeah. B2B, it's a, it's a tool. It's an investment. You sell into a business. You just say, hey, we're going to make you more money than you spend on this. If that's true, why wouldn't they do it? And I think of the psychology of a business owner. Um, you pre-spend money in your head because you're like, hey, I'm going to give this a couple thousand dollars to see if it works or I'm going to spend 10 grand or whatever it is. 
and that money has to go somewhere because you're already planning. You already know as a business owner, I got to spend money to make money. So like there's a pre intent there as opposed to consumers, they don't have to spend anything. Like you better provide outrageous value in a world where everything's ad supported, everything's going towards like paying for your attention or basically you're paying by giving an app your attention and it's just going to be free and then they're going to sell ads. And so gosh, keeping people's attention in this day and age feels ridiculous. It feels like an, un, it feels like a mountain that most people like have to climb that I think is almost nearly, nearly impossible. Yeah. It's hard. It's definitely the harder route. Let's also talk about stickiness B2B. If a business is growing and running, it's, they tend to stick with what works. If your app is working, if you're constantly improving it, if they feel good about it, they are going to be with you for a long, long time. And so, man, that's a good place to be. You want recurring revenue. You don't want half your user base dropping off every month and you're constantly having to fill up the top of the funnel. Yeah. You want them to rely on you to do their job every day. If you can get a couple hundred people to rely on you for their job every day and they pay you a hundred bucks a month, it's a great living. That's a great bootstrapper life right there. Um, and like you mentioned earlier, there's more parlays into adjacent industries and downstream than people think, mm -hmm. you know, I think that we can, we can get into that in another episode about our version of that. But I think there's so many other ways to turn it into more. If you mm -hmm. can just get a hundred people to pay you for a tool that does something to make their life easier, make them more money, save them headaches. That's like the name of the game with B2B, right? Like, can we save you time? Can we make you more money? Can we reduce pain points? You do any of those three things and preferably all those things. That's a recipe for a really strong company. Yeah. Yeah. I think in, it's the thing. I, there's also this thing on Twitter where it's, I think people are starting like 30 businesses in 30 days or something silly like that, where they're just like throwing spaghetti. And it's like, it's like a, the move fast, break things on steroids. And I just can't help but wonder, I'm like, are you actually like learning people or digging deep? Um, by doing that, or are you just playing craps, you know? If I had to estimate, I bet each of those has a 0% chance of success. <laughs> <laughs> and again, that's playing the lottery of, oh, if I just crack the code, as opposed to the non-sexy work of like, you know, remember all the home inspectors we went out and got coffee with and like went to weird places and had awkward conversations. Like that's not sexy. We didn't talk about it on Twitter or Reddit. Like, you know, it, I think that's where the gold is, is like connecting with that one or two people that go and tell one or two people, and then you have a business. Right. You got to get that snowball rolling. And without investing that time, there, this is not a, if you build it, they will come world anymore. There's too much noise out there. People will not find your app on 22nd page of Google. If you build it and just put up a landing page, you have to put in the hard work. You have to fight for mindshare. And that's why you know, the niche market where you can get a hold of even a few people and have direct human connections with them. That's what you start a business on. That's what gets a snowball rolling. And gosh, it, it's, uh, it's not sexy right now. People don't talk about that part of the business. It's so counter to, I think everything around us, which is scale, be huge, make, you know, sell for a few billion dollars. That's what gets the headlines. And I think like you have to consciously fight that every day because I think our minds are now even wired to saying like, oh, it's not scalable. What if I set a precedence by calling this guy, giving him my phone number, um, texting him at midnight? He's going to expect that. I don't, we didn't worry about those problems early on. Like I catch, we say it sometimes now, you know, because when you are actually starting to scale, you inch it down. You don't just go from tons of contact to no contact right away because you worry about 
someone texting you at midnight. I think you have to take those risks and you sacrifice some personal boundaries too by being all accessible to those first couple users or those first hundred users. Yeah, nothing we did was scalable in the beginning. The code wasn't scalable. The infrastructure wasn't scalable. The time that we invested into each potential customer wasn't scalable. That's why we got to a point where we were scaling up. Because they, and that's the thing, I think humans, they don't, it's not hard to feel it if someone says, hey, I'm going to give you a couple hours of free work or a couple hours. I'm going to, I'm going to build a feature you requested, even though no one else wants it early on, sometimes, you know, to our, <laughs> to our, uh, you know, detriment. But I think you can't win people over without going overboard, I think, on attention or being present with them. Like those things matter early on. So I don't know. I can't speak enough to that, but to me, the idea or the niche doesn't matter if you're doing those things, you're going to win somehow in a small way to start. So the last thing I want to say when it comes to finding your idea, kind of to to bring this home, if you don't have pain points that you want to solve, if you don't know an industry necessarily that needs a better service, just get out there and start talking to people, ask everybody, you know, Hey, what software do you use every day? Hey, what, can I meet some of your friends at a party and just ask them what the software they use? Get yourself out there. Get asking questions because I'll bet within two degrees of separation of people, you know, so there's somebody out there in your social circle that needs better software for some little niche. Maybe there's only 10,000 of them, 5,000 of them in the whole world, and they wish they had a very specific piece of software that could do something and nobody's doing it. Yeah. That is what it's all about. Just getting out there, being curious, asking questions and really trying to spot that idea when it comes along. Make that your superpower. And it's like, this comes along with like, what I think someone's called like the great unbundling. And they're saying that within any company or organization, there's at least 10 business processes or ideas or pieces of software that could be pulled out and used for like the general public or basically like ask them what's working and not working within like their tech stack day in and day out. They're going to bitch to you about something. There's gold in there. And, you know, I think of our friends, we have actuary friends. We have friends that work for government agencies, accountants. They're all pissed off with something they're using. Guarantee it. Yeah. Cool. cool. Any other right. any other thoughts on this? Man, talk. I, I love what you I love your main theme. Talk to people, throw ideas out there, engage with people, reach out even people you don't know on Reddit or Twitter or whatever, like I'm, we're working on that with ourselves, even at this point, we have a business that's doing well. So it's a, it makes life more fun too. Definitely. Cool. Well, that's uh that's today's episode. If you have any ideas for future topics, things you want to hear more about, hit us up. Uh, all of our contact info is in the description. Sounds good. All right. All right. Later. Later.